Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. I'm Michael Scott, and this is The Drummer's Pathway podcast. As creative artists, we often seek inspiration from the music of our generation and at times long to live the life of our heroes. Often, the allure of the spotlight and success is accompanied by personal challenges that can take over and send us down unintended paths. But despite the issues we face, by embracing humility and acceptance along with a sense of grace, we can overcome our challenges and find ourselves on an unexpected path that can ultimately show us our worth and value. On this episode, my guest is drummer Jamie Wallum. Best known as the current drummer for the band Tears for Fears, a position he has held since 2010, Jamie is an in-demand musician who at the age of 13 became inspired to pursue drumming after attending a concert by the band Kiss. He went on to develop his skills by playing along with the albums that inspired him during his formative years, mostly in the hard rock and metal genre of the day. At the age of 18, he attended the Percussion Institute in Hollywood, California, where after studying with some renowned educators, he graduated with honors in 1989. Jamie landed his first professional touring gig with Michael Sweet of the band Striper. This began his career as a touring and session drummer. In addition to Tears for Fears, he has had the privilege of touring with a variety of other artists, including Jackson Brown, David Crosby, Tommy Shaw, Fee Waybill, and Rage Against the Machines' Tom Morello's solo project, The Night Watchman. As a musician, Jamie has also begun composing and producing music for television, film, as well as other artists. In our interview, we talk about how important it is to remain committed to your craft despite the many personal and professional challenges you may encounter, why you always need to stay humble and show gratitude even during the challenging times, and also that it is essential for our well-being and mental health to always have a creative outlet to express ourselves. Let's get started. You're currently known as the drummer in Tears for Fears, and you're just in the process now of getting prepared for the next leg of this tour. But if you look back to early on, you initially started playing the drums when you were 13. And at that time, living in Los Angeles, you were inspired by a lot of the music at the time, which tended to be kind of in the hard rock metal genre. And you spent your formative years playing in bands and pursuing that aspect of things. What switched you from that direction? And we'll come back to that, but what switched you from the beginning stages in the hard rock genre into the gig that you actually have now playing with this iconic pop band? Uh, I think it would be an, a two-part answer, but simply and probably honestly, luck. I mean, luck was the first, and I say that, not like jokingly or try, but it, it, I think it was two things. I had worked, I got the gig with tears for fears. I had done other gigs of quite, you know, uh, notoriety, but never long tours or sort of, uh, as a main kind of, uh, band member, just a lot of pickup work, uh, and tours here and there. And a couple of local bands that I really liked it, you know, 
but it was the guitar player in Tears for Fears, Charlton Pettis. I'd known for many years, probably a good five or six years prior to me joining Tears. And so uh, he's a producer and writer and does a lot of recording and producing for people. And so uh, I knew him from him hiring me to do sessions. And the band already had a drummer, fantastic drummer named Nick DiVirgilio, who uh, stepped in and was had been playing with Roland prior to Kurt and Roland getting back together. And so he did the gig for, uh, I think, a few years, uh, at least three or four years. And uh, and then unbeknownst to me, I was literally driving in Beverly Hills one day uh, to go to the Gibson showroom in Beverly Hills to do a rehearsal with some singer songwriter. And I thought it was odd that I was going to the Gibson Beverly Hills Gibson guitar warehouse, but they have a rehearsal room and this guy had some in with Gibson. So anyways, uh, it was driving to that. I remember specifically phone rang Charlton, thought he was just calling me to say hi or when are you free to come do a jingle or something? And he's like, uh, you want to join Tears for Fears? And I thought he was joking and I went, oh yeah, sure. When's my, you know, when's my contract in my private plane? You know, like joking around. He's like, no, I'm serious. Would you be into doing it and without a question i said well yeah but my first reservation was i'm not sure if i'm the guy for the gig and he said i think you are mainly because and, and he knew i sang like i sang backups and i don't have a lead singer voice i've never worked on it and nor do i like my voice you have to like your voice i think enough to but i do sing harmonies i've been playing and working cover bands since i was 17 or 18 and in those you know 45 minute sets three times a night for three nights in a row one person obviously cannot handle that much vocal work. So I, I got into it and I loved the complexity of singing over, you know, playing drums and all the independence that took because I studied Gary Chester's new breed when I was younger. And so it was like the fifth, you know, the independence, the fifth limb of singing a rhythm and melodically and holding pitch while you're still trying to play effective. So that was a huge, uh, huge help for me. I think um, so. I cut a lot of chops, and I knew a lot of pop songs, and I knew whatever. But I was definitely a hard rock drummer. So when asked, I, I jumped on it, but was a little apprehensive. And again, I consider it still the element of luck uh, that it fit really well, beautifully, because I come from a very uh, much more hard rock. But I come from a lot. I did a lot of pop records and session work, and I loved my idols growing up. Who I'm actually, I'll get to them. Throwing it back on this tour is all the guys that made most of the records either my parents listened to or I listened to when I was uh, through the 70s and 80s, especially the 80s guys like John Robinson, J.R. Robinson, uh, Rick Murata, Jerry Murata, uh, Steve Smith. Um, you know, the, the classics, I'm bringing back the classic like six-piece studio, you know, two two up, two down, ride cymbal up, you know, just goods and less is more. And I'm really, really into that whole thing now, even even almost a little obsessively. So I'm going back and studying the recordings that were drum machines or loops or put together with a computer, but still every note that was played on the drums was intentional. And so I, I have not paid it that much respect and I am this tour and it feels really good. Well, one of the things that I find interesting as I mature as a player, cause I'm in my early fifties and I've been playing since I was 11 is yeah. that you go through the stage where it's all about more is more. You know, you would show up at a club and half of the stage would be the 12 piece drum kit that you'd be using because you needed your roto toms and your two China symbols and your three splash symbols and all of the stuff. Because part of the thought process is 
in order for me to be creative, I need to have tools to be creative with. Yeah. As I've matured as a player, I generally do most shows now with a four-piece drum set. One one rack tom, one floor tom, um, a couple of cymbals, and I find the the canvas of that in front of me inspires the creativity because I don't have all of the tools available for me. So I have to be creative in my approach. And I just find there's so much joy now, not in the complexity of things, but in the sonics that are available to me. I know you currently are using a drum kit. What's the company? The AFM. and yeah. custom drums that is looks like an antique it's a beautiful piece of work and the sonics off of that are just incredible and so now for me like i said rather than getting inspired by having a whole bunch of things available to me it's it's just having the sounds in front of me that I can pull out of these drums. And I think that's one of the things that happens when you mature as a player is you learn how to pull sounds out of the instrument rather than having to add more things to the kit to use. A hundred percent. Do I not only agree? I, I think, I think we're running very parallel journeys. Like as we began to discuss and just get to know one another as well and talk and the similarities in our journeys are, pretty wild man i'm with everyone that you throw out there i'm like oh wow i think so very similar and and you know what i think i've really been going through a a a metamorphosis of types with my drumming and and where i'm at in my life i think a lot of it has to do with it with the stuff i've been through i mean and i've been through a ringer but of my own uh without like oh i'm not any victim i'm i'm in a a alcoholic in recovery and i've been through coming up on four years sober and i'm 53 so like i've had and and my point with all that too is like a whole really dynamic sort of repositioning of how i feel about my career where i'm at in my life it's all sort of uh kind of fusing together in a unique way and my answer or what i was going to say in response was that we've both been those guys everyone is those i have a couple of friends here where i live on uh and students who are those guys and i'm pulling them back and again this is no knock i'll start right off the bat i speak honestly how i feel i do not mean to be offensive or put anybody down art is art i respect pretty much all of it i do think there is a difference between uh, calling anything art because you should spend some time on your instrument i consider it artistic yes if someone were to pick up the guitar for the first time and just start banging notes on it, Yoko Ono, art, okay, like I'm not into debate that or anything, but I do find you get more depth out of the art when the artist has studied their craft, Mm -hmm. I mean, and then infuse their own uh, interpretation of something that they want to do, but you can tell there is a time spent learning and respecting the craft, so to me, that is what goes along with art and artists, and uh, it is, yeah, there, there's a respect for a craft that you can tell and you can tell the ones that have really spent and the ones that have a natural thing. And so in music, I'm coming back to the fact that I think I'm just it's like an, it's <laughs> I was going to say lion. And then I'm like, oh, now let me tell you, I'm like an old lion. No, I'm like an old baboon, <laughs> not to dog the baboon either. But like I'm I'm just getting I'm up there to where what satisfies me i think and what motivates me and what i go for is a lot more of the complexities and subtleties that 
I probably, I'd say, I, I wouldn't say I was aware of and poo-pooed. I just don't think I, I let, I wasn't at a place mature wise. It's like when I was a kid, when I was 10, I would, you couldn't pay me enough to eat a tomato. The grossest things in the world. And then all of the sudden, and I can tell you probably when I was probably 16 and at a burger joint with a girl that I really liked. And, and she loved tomatoes. Don't you just love tomatoes? Oh my God. Oh, can I have you? Oh yeah. I love tomato. You know, whatever. Sorry. I got and I ate it. I'm like, yeah, it's not really, but yeah, same with coffee or a cigarette or something. It's like, but it's as you, as I become an adult, I'm like, yeah, I smoke a pipe now occasionally. I like it, you know? And I'm, so I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is maybe it's the testosterone. Maybe it's that thing that naturally ebbs with our youth to our growing up and whatever you, you have that time period to go and be the, the beast, the hunter, the guy out the the, the radical going through cutting with the sickle through all new uncharted territory and being whatever. And it's like, man, I'm happy and perfectly content kind of staying back at the camp and, and, you know, no one still messes with you. There's respect, but I don't, I don't possess that same drive. It's just not in my body anymore like that. So especially, so the subtleties, I, I was mind blown when I was first showed by one of my teachers at PIT and went to percussion Institute of in, in Los Angeles, right after high school, first, like within the first five years, it was open. And it was, I think it was Ralph Humphrey. God rest him, man. Uh, incredible teacher and incredible human being. But what he, what he talked about, and I remember what he did was talking about, you just start with a kick and a snare. That's it. Kick and a snare and create a three minute solo. He put on a timer and put on a click, just improvise, but that's all you have. He'd stop it after a minute and go, okay, put slide the hi-hat over. Now, another minute, soloing, not don't keep a beat. Let me hear you phrase, let me hear you solo, right? Clicks on, leave space, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's amazing how dumbfounded, it's like when you get asked a question on a game show, easiest to answer it from your armchair in your living room. 100%. You get in front of a camera and a live audience, you can't even remember uh, how do you spell red or what's after the number three? Oh, uh, right. So it's a, yeah, it's an amazing uh, learning experience for me to try and just go, wow, how to be creative on less. And like you said, in, in line with re- learning to record drums in the way that I think actually really brings the best range of tone from either a cymbal or a drum involves in many cases hitting significantly softer than I would hit when I play a live gig. And I never really knew that. I always grew up, especially with hard rock, man. All I wanted to do is is hit like Tommy Lee and Tommy Aldridge and all those rock guys of, of the 80s metal bands. And 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 you hear as growing up, I hear all the reverb on those records. And I thought, wow, those drums just need to, how else do you make something go like that? And that's hit, hit it till it wants to, <laughs> you punish it, right? When you're actually compressing the drum uh, beyond it's even, right? So it's just stuff like that. As I get older, I, I gravitate toward the fascinate and especially having a place to record now. It's unbelievably how deep I've gone down into sonically getting into recording drums and drum tones and the differences of drums. And it's wild. It'll, I'll, I'll never, it's a journey that you will never finish. Well, and one of the things that I found to be one of, one of the few positives of the pandemic was I needed something to do. And so I always thought, well, I want to learn how to record drum. So yeah. part part of it. So I, I had a, a little setup 
and I had GarageBand and I watched some tutorials and I thought we got two microphones and I will figure out some basic elements. And I had no idea what I was doing, but sometimes you just have to start. If you wait till everything is perfect, you never actually get started. You learn more by having less available to you and have to make things work. And I remember I had basically just learned a couple of things in order to get a sound into my computer, which to me was the greatest thing ever because I actually was able to to get that done. And then I had a friend of mine send me a message and she said that she needed drums for a, a track because they were unable to bring people into the studio. Can you record drums from home? And I said, well, yes but I have no idea what I'm doing, but I looked at it as an opportunity. And then the track ended up getting used and I learned a lot from that experience. But now I, I, I've learned a lot. I'm still kind of at the early stages of my recording stuff, but I've done a lot of work in my house over the Ooh. last two to three years. And it's incredibly satisfying because you start to appreciate the process more. And what I found is that it changed my playing because you're not playing for the room anymore. You're not playing for the audience. You're playing for the microphones and you're playing for the sonics of it. And, and one of the greatest learning experiences as a musician is to record, not only record yourself, but to force yourself to listen back to the things that you record, because what feels really good when you're playing it at the time sometimes doesn't sound particularly good on the recording. So it's just that process and that repetition of going through and adjusting your touch and your approach to pull out those tones is incredibly valuable and can only make you not only a better technical player, but a more sensitive musician. I remember laughing, thinking I've got this 22 inch Sabian light artisan ride symbol that I bought for playing jazz stuff. And it has now become my main recording symbol on everything. And I thought, well, this will be versatile in no situation except for light jazz. But I used it on a metal track that I did for a film score. And it just and it sings beautifully, beautifully I bet. because you start to realize that sometimes the perfect sound that you think really isn't the right sound for that particular situation. And so right now you're getting the joy of kind of putting your, your live kit together. Now you've traditionally been an acoustic player, but over I think the last couple of tours with, with Tears for Fears, you're starting to incorporate electronics more into that as well too. So how do you find that journey for someone that's actually coming from a background where you generally tended to avoid that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and interestingly enough, everything that you've talked about with the recording process and how it interested you. And then, I mean, here's the interesting part. I think I probably did my very first recording session ever as a drummer when I was 15 or 16 with the first band that I was in. And we recorded in a little, uh, it was like an industrial warehouse that a guy turned into a recording studio, you know, 25 bucks an hour or something like that. And he had a 16-track, one-inch Tascam tape machine. We just thought it was, I mean, we knew it wasn't, you know, a Capitol Record studio, but but we were still like, oh, my God, we're in the studio. I listen back to that now, and again, what I love about it is the passion and the energy, um, the performances and the recording itself was just so uh, awful. But again, that's 40 years ago, 35 years ago or whatever, and 
I look back at it and go, every every little bit of it was been a learning process, right? So, but I've done a lot of sessions. So that's the thing I've done from that time on until where I'm at now in my career. I've done a tremendous amount of recording in various, never on my own though. I didn't have the capacity until about really, truly about six months ago. I, I had a, a computer with Pro Tools on it about eight, 10 years ago, something. 2014 or 15 never got it off the ground i was only even doing it because i play other instruments like i have uh i mean i have a whole st- like all the guitars and so i i do a lot of of writing and producing um because i love songwriting like if again i'm a i'll be the first to tell any drum anyone that if i had my druthers i'm a frustrated guitar player way more than i am a frustrated dr- or a good drummer so I love playing guitar and I love writing songs and I've always loved songs. Um, I went through the phase, of course, I think that every musician really does go through and that's the really wanting to excel. I mean, again, where, where I grew up in the time was a huge push for hard rock and, and uh, I mean, they call it heavy metal. I, I look, listen to it now. I go, it was not, when you've got Slipknot yeah. and Fight death punch and stuff that makes judas priest sound like like lionel richie sometimes right (laughs) bloodstone off of screaming for vengeance like that was melodic and had harmony guitar solos that you know that wasn't heavy metal but point is that's what i uh you know i i I did that stuff in it but there was a band called racer x Mm -hmm. paul gilbert and and the neoclassic ingay malmstein and all this shredding metal shredder metal stuff and Double bass and all, you know, and so I really wanted to progress in that. And then, of course, that's what I went to PIT thinking. And as soon I I knew nothing. I didn't even know the name Dave Weckl. I didn't know the name Vinnie Caliuta. Really, I knew all the rock guys. That's what I was into. Appreciated all the other stuff. And then I really go, wow, here's someone going, okay, let's start unlocking how to play drums. And it's all about subdivision and rhythm. And then I started understanding when you slowed it down exactly what. Steve Gadd has been doing the most musical stuff, unbelievable musical stuff. By the way, happy birthday to Bernard Purdy, one of the idols. What a un, like I never appreciated. I can be I'd be the first to hold up my hand and say I I have probably even made fun of or gone like what what is that guy? Oh, he's the guy who says he plays on the Beatles. Whatever. I don't man. You listen to that guy pick up sticks and do his thing, and I am. It, it instantly puts a smile on my face and makes me want to go bob my head because he's one of the examples of my opinion of what it is to seek out the ultimate groove and the ultimate feel. He's just in, impeccable. And then, and you, so I just saw, so what I did is I, I got lit and I went down that rabbit hole and I very, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was about halfway through my year at PIT. I went and saw Dave Weckl live first time i was going to see him perform live at the catalina bar and grill in hollywood sat five feet off of his hi-hat blown away beyond blown away for 70 percent of the show and then the last 30 percent, i actually started feeling it coming on and mm-hmm. i got depressed and then i just wanted to go i knew i wasn't going to get to meet him and, and, I, and then i felt really uncomfortable and i left and i wasn't sure why i was feeling this way and a couple days later, really, I was honest with myself enough, enough to go, why am I feeling this way? It's because I'll never be that good. I will never be that good. Very few will. And if that's sort of the pinnacle, 
And I don't, I'm not knocking Catalina Bar and Grill, but if that's like what the best drummer I've ever, ever heard pick up sticks is doing, like, and I'm five feet from his hi hat, and you know, he's just chunking away at, at good club gigs, being a legend as a drummer. I'm like, if that's what he's doing, I got to figure out real quick what I'm supposed to be doing with my life because I got to, I got to, you know, start wearing makeup <laughs> like Kiss and go down the, like, buy me on this credit because I don't know, I'm stuck in the middle. And I really panicked. And then all that that did was mold me back to the simplicity. I just started getting back into guys that I, Picaro, um, Steve Gadd, Stevie Dad. Like I really started Jerry, Mar the Murata brothers, all the stuff, all the stuff that I just go, man, I, I love the way this feels and it's not technical and it's not. And, and now we're, I feel like we're neck deep in another wave of, of all about the, the, the stuff that I'm not saying isn't important, but it's, I I feel like I, when I see, and I'll say this full throttle, and if ever, this were to ever get back to him, I'd love to sit down and have a coffee with him and discuss this openly. We'd probably be really good friends. I do not agree, nor do I think there should be any place other than an occasional uh, thing of like playing one-handed as fast as you can. You can pick up yeah. an espresso. I don't know if you've seen this guy. Uh, well, he's an incredible drummer, uh, but I've literally had drum students going, I don't know if I feel like playing anymore because that's just not... And again, I understand it's a thing. That's the part of the social media thing that I'm kind of, I'm really over because it, to me, it's going the wrong way. It's going the wrong way. Like the, the whole wave of it, I get, I understand, but I just don't see as much reminder. And if they say it's assumed that it's there, let's see any one of those guys go play back in black like Phil Rudd did and actually play it with that feel and i i still have yet to find guys that do both i just can't the thing about the whole social media thing is that that you know social media technical drumming almost like an olympic sport has become a genre on its own 100%. and so now there's a whole there's a whole new generation of students well not necessarily stupid but up-and-coming drummers that that see that and that is their goal yeah when we were growing up our goal was to play music yeah and our goal was to interact with musicians yes and some people join one band and they play one style of music and that's what they do for their entire career and they love it i was never that guy to me i always wanted to learn as much as i could about all these different genres yeah and i am I'm not the guy you're going to call to play a Latin gig. Yeah. I have, Me I have a fundamental, I have a fundamental understanding of a lot of these different, different grooves. And I could get through a lot of these things. I have a background. Like I went to school to study jazz. I don't consider myself to be a jazz player, but I love the art form yeah. because it's, because it's an art form yeah. and it's a way for people to make music and express themselves. And it feels good. Yeah. Um, I would much rather listen to Elvin Jones play triplets on his drum set for days because the feel and the passion and the energy off of that is so unbelievably palpable. Like, like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's infectious Ooh. rather than just listening to some, some technical things. Technical things grab people's attention, but they don't hold people's attention. And along that line, because you're getting ready in a couple of days to head out for, you know, full band rehearsals for this next leg of the tour, you have been posting videos of your prep time, learning and reviewing 
the uh, the the tears for fears catalog and i love them they're just they're really inspiring and one of the things that i think is interesting is you posted one recently of you playing the groove to everybody wants to rule the world which if a lot of people look at they consider it to be this really simple feel that wouldn't grab people's attention but it's probably one of the most difficult songs for people to actually play right and watching you just in your little studio at home just prepping for this rehearsal just playing this groove and watching the little subtleties that you're putting into this it's simple but there's little things that just have to be there or it's not right and just reading the comments it's just it's inspiring so many people and I was watching it earlier today, just kind of shaking my head on just how amazing you make that track feel. And it's all about embracing the simplicity, but embracing it with an attitude that you want to get it right. Yeah. Because it's not about, you know, because you can put a simple chart in front of someone's face and they can sit down and go play this group. Oh, yeah, that's that's so easy. It's like, well, but why doesn't it why doesn't it feel good? Just playing the notes doesn't create the feel. I listen to a wide variety of music, some of which I've had the opportunity to play, some of it I, I haven't. But when I'm in a situation where I'm doing a gig or I'm at a jam night somewhere and someone turns to me and says, I need you to play this song. I'm not familiar with the song or if it's an original song. But when they turn to me and they say, I need it to be played in the style of because I have a vast knowledge of different styles of music, if someone says, play it simple, but I want it to be ACDC, I want it to be Michael Jackson, <laughs> you can take the same beat played by two different artists, and they're two completely different feels. And you can't just play the notes, you have to play the context of the notes. Right. And regardless of your technical capabilities, if you're not playing it in the context that they expect you to do it, then it's not going to speak to anybody. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's what really is essential in the things that a lot of the next generation are kind of missing. They're, they're looking at the technical aspect, but they're not really looking at the elements that really factor in what makes the music feel good in the first place. I think that's a, um, exactly spot on observation, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. You know, and I find myself pretty easily feeling like I might uh, think that, oh, I have this, you know, overall view and this is my thing. I mean, I'm sure if I sat down and talked to a lot of the guys that I feel, I don't know them, but I've gotten come to know them via social media accounts and whatever, that if I were to sit down and talk to them again, they'd, they'd be like, oh man, I love playing and they'd get it, whatever. But I, my, I think so, I, I don't want to seem like I'm just painting the entire wave of whatever as that thing. But, and I hear some incredible. Here's an example. I'm just going to say this for anyone who may come across this. And if you haven't, I recommend you go find it. The new, and they actually played in a band together, mind-blowingly enough like that. And that's where I realized, oh, I, I think it, you can have a really beautiful hybrid. Guys like Nate Smith, mm -hmm. uh, guys like Corey Wong, the guitar player, like those guys even played in the flying whatever thing they did together. Um, technically, unbelievable chops. His the Corey Wong's guitar playing is some of the most unbelievable rhythm, strat, funk, rhythmic, better than 95% of the professional drummers. That guy's rhythm 
with his guitar playing is unbelievable. Nate Smith, one of the, and that guy, he did it. I just saw clips. He did a whole tour, his kick drum, snare drum, hi-hat, floor tom, ride cymbal or something, and a monitor next to him wedged down on the ground. I'm like, and he played Madison Square Garden. And my point is, too, is like that guy's pretty, <laughs> pretty technical. He got, I mean, I've, he's played stuff just in how he switches from eighth notes to triplets to 16th triplets to 32nd note single-handed hi-hats in the most grooving way that all you want to do. You don't even tell, can't even tell what he's doing is necessarily technical. If you didn't know, you just know that it makes you still want to go, wow, at whatever speed. And that's something that I think, you know, still in all, I come back from that and I just say my heart as a musician, what I got in navigated toward music to begin with wasn't because I wanted to be a drummer. It was because I loved the song. Mm -hmm. I walked around singing rock and roll all night or calling Dr. Love or Love Gun or Detroit Rock City when I was nine because I loved the song and I loved Kiss. I, I wanted to be Gene Simmons before I wanted to be Peter Chris. But then my uncle's a drummer. And so I was like, oh, this seems to be a pretty natural thing. And I could go play on his kid. And and then it just then I just fell in love with it. Right. But but again, it started with the love of music. And to me, again, now the simplicity of the space. I just think there's many cases where right now, as with many things in the world and oh, my God, here he goes. Now let me climb up on my soapbox. It's all just rapid fire. Everything is notched up to warp 10 at at all times with this motivation and there's something very exciting about that it continues to propel our uh, uh technical knowledge and our scientific knowledge and what we know and whatever but i saw a post today that sort of sums uh, it was yesterday that sort of sums up how i feel everyone needs to kind of take a moment and understand and that is that in do you know that i think it was a span of 66 years just 66 years, even under 100 years, you've got Orville and Wilbur Wright with that plane out in the middle of that field trying to get off the ground. And then 66 years later, you've got a man walking on the moon. Less than 100 years, yet you date the earth back thousands of years to civilizations, thousands, you know, in, in 200 years, you were lucky if a civilization developed a sewage system. Or a way to do whatever. And in 60-something years, we've gone from trying to figure out how to get airborne to sending a rocket and, a, and human beings to another planet. Like the, And it's only, it felt like that was major than the 70, but it, it continued. The microwave, the the cell phone, the, the all of it, it's all about wham, bang, ding, bang, bang. And and there's something, I go back to Jurassic Park, like the Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> chaos theory man like this is all it's all a little too good and a little too fast and a little too there's a it's yielding a power that um is it's it's on the verge if not already really deep and i think being disrespected meaning unrespected for its strength and 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 what it's kind of doing to mankind a little bit or a lot of it a lot of it i'll I'll final say i mean imagine I lose my phone. I misplace it for 20 and I'm, I'm in it too. I am in it. I lose my phone for 20 minutes, man. It's like the world's over. Got all my number. How am I going to, I don't know. What did I do 30 or 20? How long have I had a cell phone? 
2005, 2004. What did I do in 1998? <laughs> I drove to where I went in. And if I needed to call someone, I used a pay phone or called it from my home phone. And we were okay with that. We certainly were, but oh, we want, but wouldn't it be great? Okay, well, great. Now look what it does. How many accidents, how many people have been killed because they're texting on their cell phone? Like God, you know? Well, and we were talking a little bit before we uh, started recording. And one of the things that I was saying is that I'm a big fan of the audio podcast format yeah, because I can put it on in the background and carry on with my life and get things yeah. accomplished. Amazing. I... Don't mind doing the dishes when I'm listening to a podcast because I'm getting inspired and I'm learning. And that's one of the things that I love where I can put things on to, I can go onto YouTube and watch some videos and then you get sucked down the YouTube rabbit hole um, of that's going to, that's going to take up hours. You're going to see some things that are going to inspire you. You're going to see some things that are going to infuriate you. You're going to see some things that will make you want to give up your craft because you're getting intimidated. And the worst thing I think that media can do for individuals is to distinguish their creative fires. Yes. I think that more people need to spend time being creative, but too many people have this mentality where they say, oh, I'm not creative. I can't do something. You don't have to be able to do something in order to be able to experience something. Exactly. You talked about how you're, you're kind of a frustrated guitar player, but you're like, you're, you have a passion for songwriting. My first instrument was guitar. I still play guitar. I don't play guitar for people, but I play guitar for myself. Amen. Um, and I became a drummer in grade seven because we had to pick an instrument in instrumental music. And I had no confidence in my capabilities to be able to play anything. And so I wanted to be a percussionist, not because I wanted the glory, but I wanted to be a percussionist because I wanted to be part of the ensemble. So I could support the people that kind of want the glory and I can be part of the team. And for me, I've never been one to kind of seek out the spotlight i'd rather be the guy behind the curtain yeah the guy that plays on the record that you don't know plays on the record but the guy that plays the show let him have the glory i'm good with that and then the flip side of that is the people that often are getting all the calls end up following paths that can be destructive and they take them into different sort of elements because i know you struggled with you know alcoholism and, and addiction and that was a path that you are currently working through in terms of recovery but that's there's sort of two sides of things you know you can pursue the different elements and then run into the lifestyle challenges or you don't pursue these options because you've got your own anxieties and your own things so there's always different sides of the stories and like i said to you earlier the people on social media who are living the perfect life are not living an honest life. And I truly believe that the people who are the strongest are the people that accept the fact that there are challenges in their lives and they embrace that and they look to try and do whatever they can just to try and make each day a little bit better. And that's something about you that I've found particularly inspiring is just how open and honest, but yet in a positive way about the struggles and things that you've been dealing with. And so I, I find that inspirational. I've had a lot of, I, I'll, if I may just take this moment and I, I will keep it brief because again, I don't, I don't desire my desire. It's an interesting position to feel like I have an opportunity where I'm actually being invited and asked 
my thoughts on things or my opinion. Right. Um, so it, it can make it really easy to feel like, oh, but I, I don't want to showboat or, or get on a soapbox. I I've always been deathly afraid of trying to be, because that represents a certain, a, a strong sense of, in some cases, pride, arrogance. There's all, you can throw it in there. Egotism, uh, blah, blah, blah. Look at me. I've, I've probably lacked probably why the alcoholism and the addiction is because even though I've wanted to do something that has been a very public, well, then why'd you ever get in me? Well, I love playing drum, but no, actually I'll be honest. Course, we've all heard this. Whether it was Bruce Springsteen, Eddie Vedder, all the people who said this kind of stuff, I loved. I loved. I wanted to be in Kiss or whatever was going to be the next Kiss, and I I loved the the rock starness, and I loved the attitude, the money, and the cars, and the girls, and the and the parties, and the whatever. Even from a young age, that seemed really enticing, as I think it does for most children or most teenagers all of it we've all especially now when you have so much access to what that would be like so i i wanted to be that but then i kind of soon realized i wasn't through a lot of stuff you know i didn't have any deep deep dark family traumas or anything like that i think it was definitely my influence of the rock and roll lifestyle i mean i played the whiskey a go-go i grew up in la my first club gig at the whiskey i was 16 and so I played in bars and clubs with got musicians twice my age for a long time and where I had to go from the stage to the dressing room because I couldn't be in a bar. I was 17 or whatever. And so my point is, too, I, I just it was around a lot and it just became such a pattern of the way I and for a long time it worked and seemed to and it added fun. And I was I was I loved trying to be John Bonham and Tommy Lee and all that Keith Moon and all that stuff. I I, I sunk my. <laughs> I sunk into the role, but uh, yeah, it just was all that went with it. Right. Marlboro Reds and Jack Daniels. Like that's just for some weird reason. That's just the deal. And it stuck with me forever. I, and uh, weirdly enough, I'm, I, I only, I was a vacuum cleaner if I was drunk, right. If I've been drinking, but my go-to wasn't drugs. It was just always alcohol. It just did its thing and it worked for a very long time. So point with that too, is that like, I'm in a place and I hit a lot of heavy repercussions, everything. And I've talked about it on other shows and I'll tell you this too. I sort of even learned to streamline. I've been to jail. I've been to hospitals. I've been to rehabs. I've been to, I've slept, I've lived in my car for a while. I'm the drummer for tears for fears. Uh, I've, I've was home, not have a place to live. I mean, I was never homeless because my car then was my home, but I, I slept in my back seat, freezing cold, you know, uh, with a half bottle of Jack and and shaking, shivering and whatever, just going, what am I doing? And I had to bump from, you know, but those guys, we're all friends, but like you keep that stuff very private and we don't talk a whole, you know, a great deal. It's a business and, and it's a band, and but we're all very close. And those guys supported me through some of the darkest times. They paid for uh, rehab for me. They allowed me an opportunity to get well and they've been incredibly supportive. And I almost lost the gig, very, very close to losing the gig. I mean, the ultimatum was if you drink on this tour, you go home, you know, um, so scared, you know, real. And I come back from all that and just the work that I've, I guess, just kind of and what I saw through the pandemic and what I've seen in moving to Canada for the last four years. I'm dual citizenship and I've been half Canadian my entire life, but I've never lived in Canada. And so the opportunity to get healthy and move up here uh, was it was I was resistant at first, but I knew it was my last stop. Really, it was my last chance to get well. 
And I struggled with it for the first year up here too. I've been up here almost five years and I've been sober almost four. So it was, uh, and that was all during the time before the pandemic, but after I'd moved and did a few tours with tears and really struggled. <clears throat> and then I, bottom line is the pandemic is the universe is, I say, God, it's God's way of, of, uh, finally getting me sober. Sorry, the rest of the world had to pay for it a bit, but yeah. I, God needed me to stop. <laughs> so that's how I look at it uh, jokingly, but yeah, I, uh, and all of that's brought me and I worked, I've worked harder than I've ever worked in my life physically over the last three years working at a lumberyard in Canada mm-hmm. to have a job. And for some weird reason, it just hit me. And I was like, I need to, I need to shut my mouth, um, wake up at 6am, show up for work at 7am in outside all day in, in British Columbia winter, which is still not worse than the oil rigs in Alberta and back East, but man, People go like, oh, you should see it. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> no one should have. Yeah. This is cold. This is cold. Yeah. I mean, two feet of snow, you can't do anything but shovel snow for six hours in a lumberyard. Cold. And I did that up until just recently. And I only left because I finally have a chance to begin to pursue doing the things that I've wanted to do outside of when I tour uh, towards recording. And I can't do both. So I've made that big leap of faith, trusting that again, so all of the first videos I ever posted and getting sounds and stuff. And I'm, I will just say that I'm incredibly blown away to almost the emotional state of how much I feel like is being uh, gifted to me in a second chance to really try and, uh, you know, have a place in this business of drumming. Cause I've been doing it professionally for th- close to 30 years and have played with some, and there's a reason yes, luck, but I, the other half of your answer that you started where we talked about, is that I've worked really hard. And I, 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 anyone who knows me, any drummer, and now again, so have a lot of guys, so they can relate. I'm not special because of that. I've, just, I've spent a lot of hours working on wanting to be a professional drummer because I was passionate about it, not because, oh, I checked off my eight hours for today, so I'm closer to being, I'll be making money. It's just, I just loved playing. And, and so now, though, it's that weird thing where, wow, I got to make a living and I'm, I'm going through it for probably the last time in my mm-hmm. age is, can I do this full time professionally? And uh, this might, people might be going, what, what are you talking about? You're the drummer for tears of fears. Okay. Well, I wasn't well for a long time. And, and when you get comfortable and you have a fantastic gig like that, it also, unless you're actively out there going, Hey, I know I got blah, blah, blah. I want to, I want to get this, bring me on to do that tour. Bring me on. Hey, I'm free from it. I don't do any of that. I look forward to getting home. I live in the, I live in the woods, man. I live on a little island in Canada with about 7,000 people. Um, and it's super small. My whole studio is literally, look, this is out, this is out the window. Yeah, that that's glorious. I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I'm not joking. I mean, you know what I mean. But it, yeah, uh, it's it's unbelievable, and and I, it's really brought this internal thing uh, just to the place of it's gratitude, and it's how, and then it's service. And by that, I don't mean to sound arrogant. Oh, oh, sure, Jamie, what can you serve us up, the drumming community? No, it's that every time I, this is how we met. So may I ask you this, and then maybe this can explain too. When you reached out to me and we started dialogue, I was touched by the fact that you took the time to reach out and say something supportive and complimentary. That means the world to me. 
and will always, no matter what level I get, I just may not be able to have the physical time to respond to as many as I, but if I will mark my words from anybody here is this, you, you go to my social media page and you look at any post, I probably, I'm batting about 85% on responses or thank yous or whatever, because it means a lot to me that people are, you know, are, are resonating with, with a bit of the approach that I'm trying to remind people. And that's the simplicity of everything, even in the lifestyle that you're living and even in how your men work. If you're struggling because you don't know, I, I don't think playing an extra three, taking an extra three bar gigs a week, uh, a thing is going to give you the big break you need. You know, it's going to give you sanity is yeah. I mean, I say this and again, I, cause I, I said it to myself. That's why I feel like I can say it. So grow up, grow up, get responsible, do what you got to do because when your world is right in those things, that I believe will also allow you some opportunities because you've got balance in your life. And this, this incredible motivation to do it because you've got to survive. I, I, I was there and I hated it and I could not play girl from Ipanema or anything out of the, out of the big book or, or in the mood at a wedding or money, money, or, mm-hmm. and like, I'm not knocking it. I love those songs. I began to resent drumming because I was struggling so hard to make a career out of it or make a living out of it. And I got bitter at it, you know? Well, and, and I, th- I think part of the problem is that you feel as a professional musician that you have to check all of the boxes. Yeah. And that's the mindset of being a session player. You have to be able to do everything. That's what's ingrained into us. And then you look at the people who are living the careers and all the big bands. They do one thing really, really well, but that's their job. Yeah. But they don't have to cover the same basis that that we do as working musicians. 100%. But then you start looking at the situations and go, but yet I, I've got 10 things I need to be able to do, but I can do three of them really well. And then you get into this rabbit hole where you're getting through the other stuff because you feel like you're supposed to, but you don't love it. And I think that sometimes one of the most essential things that too many people don't take is to take a step back find balance in your life whether it be working an unrelated job which will give you the stability and the then the headspace where you can now focus on what's actually important to you and then just add one of the things you need to add to your list is yourself amen too many times it's like, okay, I got to be able to do this and this and this. I got to do this and this and this. And then you don't make time to stop and to sit back and say, what's actually really important to me. You're exactly right. That's that's So again, to sum it up, you get it and you, you can, and I believe, I really believe even down to a 14 year old or 10 year old right now that they can understand what it is we're saying. The, the thing that I have to be respectful of is the fact that uh, if you tell, like, here's a great example. My uncle, who is my first drum teacher. Uh, another reason, let just go back to the guitar, that I didn't become a guitar player is because I'm left-handed. So I play every, everything I do in my life, I do left-handed except drums because when I was first learning, my uncle said, and I was 11 or 12 or something, said, and he was right-handed. He's four years older than me. And I went to sit down behind his kit and I started rearranging it because I was going to, I knew that I'd been watching some, and this is how I wanted to, he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I got to play left-handed. And he's like, no, you don't. You're just starting out. So you're going to play right-handed. And I'm like, why? He goes, because trust me, you're going to be that guy that gets called up to sit in at a gig and the big 
producer is going to be there and you're going to be the guy going, okay, just give me one minute. Let me change this. And they're going to go, oh, no, no, no. We're not changing around the kit. And then you can't play. And, and I, I was 11 and I'm like, mm-hmm. big, big producer at a gig. What are you talking about? I just want to play. He's like, just start this way. So I did. And it's amazing. I, I, I developed a, I can say it. I have a strong left hand. So a lot mm-hmm. of air work and stuff came probably a lot easier to me naturally. But um, yeah, I, I never was able to pick up a guitar right-handed. Never. I tried. So all my guitars are left-handed. So then I'm like, I don't like the way left-handed guitar players look. <laughs> they look funny. I don't look at McCartney, look at Kurt Cobain, look at Jimi Hendrix. They just look funny. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'll just be a drummer. <laughs> and that was honestly the fork in the road. Well, and I've had many opportunities to be able to sit in with, you know, different bands and, and that sort of thing or share uh, stages um, over my career. And sometimes drummers don't want you to change anything. Yeah. And other drummers say you can change whatever you want. I change myself to suit their setup because I want to be the guy that walks away that thanks them for the opportunity that's grateful for the opportunity that encourages them in the opportunities that they have and then when they come back in that's this is now their environment they don't have to think and change anything and i want to be respectful like that because it's not about me it's about them and i think sometimes people forget that uh, you need to be courteous and you need to be respectful but doesn't it sound really, I mean, I just even hear you say it and I'm like, you're right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then I'm like, it's just fascinating that we're reminding each other of something as simple as like, yeah, it'd just it'd be nice to be curt. Yeah, that, that kind of, I with that underneath it directly is how, okay, I someone say, well, how do I be more courteous? It, awareness, right? So your awareness, and I, I believe that most human beings possess very clearly that ability to be aware of what their actions might represent to someone else or respect respect them and their space. Think about someone else in that situation versus what it is for me. Point is, is that we've we we really ramped up the whole, you know, I think Me Too generation, uh again, in its origin, beautiful and necessary. I think it be but the it's become a me too society but it's about me me look at me like again the 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 whole idea i will i will just finish my rant with this and we're gonna have a part two because this is unbelievably enjoyable and i don't care if i know more people will and you're doing fantastic but i really i don't care if this is just between this is what i'm talking about so this technology great we could be doing it with a phone but what a what a beautiful thing that we can see each other Technology has its place. It has its purpose. It has its absolute brilliant. I think it's been given. It's it's here for us to discover in this incredible universe. We're now finding species of fabric. We're continually going. Oh my god! Yeah, this is getting bigger and bigger as we continue to get old. Like the world gets old. Like this stuff's been here. Fascinating. Always discovering things. But my point is, Facebook. I even looked at it and go, Wow! This is a way that my grandparents can see pictures of my kids. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. Wow, I don't, I don't have to te- like, and they can go on. And my aunt and my and one person, all my friends and family can see this picture. I don't got to do anything but post it on this thing, and I can see theirs, and I can reach out to my high school. I can get in touch with my high school best, my grade school best friend. I'm meeting people on this tour, man. That I've 
now connected with than Facebook in the last couple of years that I went to Christian grade school together that I'm going to get to see and I haven't seen in 30 years, 30, 40 years. Because so it's, it's, it has its purpose. And then the, the deep, dark side is, like you said, every other thing about whether it be the flesh, the skin, the, the party, the this, the, the look at this, right? You start seeing, oh, world luxury resorts. And look at Michael Jordan just bought $28 million Ferrari that looks like a transformer and whatever. And again, I'm not, that's always been around, but like, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. I, in the eighties, when I was a kid, I, I didn't spend my day looking at a device that told me about who, who's, who's showing off all this wealth and who's traveling this and, and who's looking at what you can do with this app to fa- make your face do this. It's like, it's got, it's, it's crazy. And I'm just as potentially involved at looking at it and getting into it and being concerned about it. And I'm questioning my own self a lot right now. That's, that's how it just the plain simple fact. The irony of social media and technology is that it was designed to bring people together, but it's also it's divided people because now everyone is so caught up in their own little world oh, that, that people, divided. people no longer know how to interact with each other anymore. Yeah. And you know, I probably, I say this lightheartedly and this is the first time I'll say it that you, as I continue to get more sober and as I continue to do the work in the recovery and the healing that I've needed to do in my life, it caused a lot of damage and I never, ever, ever shy away from that. And I don't say it publicly like, hey, look at me, I'm, look at me, I'm the great apologizer. I'm just honest with it. And I say, if I, because I always think that if any of the people that I've hurt had the opportunity to hear me talk right now, they won't speak to me. And I'm talking partners and, and in, in a case, mothers of my children or, you know, the, 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 that kind of stuff, relationships that were very meaningful that I've caused damage in many ways. And I make no bones about it, whether it was my abuse, whether it my infidelity, whether it was my not showing up it not being present, even though I was sitting right there, whatever it was, I've done a lot of damage and a lot of hurt. And I look back at it now too. And I go, People have said, oh, would you take it back? Would you trade it back? You know, would you, if you knew, if you could, of course I would. But at the same time, there's no way I would be the person I am right now if I didn't. And the realization that my actions caused a lot of hurt and a lot of damage because they weren't going, oh, I'm just going to hurt you. It's like, I want this. This is what I want. I want to feel this way regardless, ultimately, regardless of who, who had to possibly be hurt by it and and again so relationships have ended because of social media someone liking a picture of mine or a female comment or something uh and, and it's crazy it's done i mean how many relationships have, have or fights have been started simply because someone said something or, or liked a photograph that i i have no control if i'm going to put myself out in this domain and yeah it's just uh it's it's a it's a it's a tricky thing, man. It's tricky. Tricky. I know you're tight on time here, but in closing, what at this stage with all your recovery and things, mm-hmm. what makes you happy? It's an excellent question. Spending time uh, with my my kids. I don't live I live in British Columbia. My daughter lives just outside of DC with her mom. She'll be 16 in December. My son is 25. He lives in uh, Memphis. Just moved there from LA about eight months ago. I've been, I'm able to see them as often as I can. I've seen them both within the last 
couple months and I'll see them both when I hit the road. I leave tomorrow to fly out and start rehearsals for this tour. And uh, so seeing my kids, they'll there's and and it's also it's also the hardest thing I've ever done is to be away from them. And they're they're both. I mean, my son's 25 and my but I also spent a lot of time away from them when I was not well. And so I, I adore every moment I get to spend or talk or be in touch with my kids. Outside of that, uh, the technical, like I said, just getting in here, digging into digging into videos here. I got to say this too. Let me put a pause for anyone that's going to ever say this. I, I'm social media, YouTube, Facebook. I've learned so much and had so my my expansion of my love of drumming and my knowledge of drumming and recording would be nowhere near even close in another three lifetimes if I didn't have the accelerated. Yeah, uh, you know, tech, uh, technical things we have to learn. So it's amazing, but that that brings me a great deal of joy. Other than that, watching a good movie or cooking. I love. I've gotten into cooking and through the pandemic, a bit. And I don't mean like oh, I read cookbooks. I just mean I really have tried to. But I do. I'll look up a recipe and then I'll try. And I'm talking from peanut butter and jelly hamburger, like cheeseburger, <laughs> crazy. If you ever heard of that, it's called Foggy Bottom or something. It's unbelievable too sushi or steak or funky salads that i'll hear about so i love cooking and uh yeah i mean that's really pretty simple uh, I, and i love i love i just i love getting outside like where i live here is some of the most beautiful country i've i've ever, and i've been to a lot of places but it's it's beautiful up here and so just going out and uh, hike there's lots of hiking and you know i want to do it more so and i love traveling so that's the reason i guess after three leave outdoors and nature feeds the soul and releases the spirit and we both incredibly fortunate you live in beautiful country like we live in a place that's very fortunate and again all of this to say uh, what i want to try and do and we'll, we'll talk more about this i just think there's a way to be of service to people and be kind that that's it and it doesn't take i mean sometimes it really is as simple as something like you you hold the door open or you can, uh, or you return your own shopping cart being of service, mm -hmm. returning a shopping cart when no one's even looking like that's being of service to the store. Why is that a big deal? We've been doing it for all, oh, but it's inconvenient. So I don't want to have to. And then, yeah, and then you leave it there and I can't park the next guy can't park in your parking spot or it rolled and it just dented someone else's car. Like when does the, start you never know someone else's story and that one moment of kindness can change their life and you sometimes will never know that 100%. i know there's times in my life when sometimes kindness came from the unexpected places i needed to hear in order to lift me up and just to face the next challenges in my life you know what i'd be willing to even say is a lighthearted but honest uh thing that just sort of dawned on me too is we were talking about like the drumming parallel and the path of like getting really it's weird it's almost like it takes more work see if this makes sense because it's done it takes it does take a significant amount more work in my opinion to be kind so for instance even if someone you hold the door open for someone right oh here you go in my mind i'm going oh that's a kind thing to do i'll just well i'm not gonna let it slam i see them coming so, and then Here's the tricky part. I hold it open and they walk right through and don't even look at me. And then I go, what a jerk. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, because I expected to go, why, thank you, mm -hmm. you kind man. No, I just, but that it constantly tests me. What are my motives in doing that? 
right? I don't want, I just want to do it because I, how nice is it when someone in front of me did the same thing, right? Like, it's just that kind of thing. And, and, but even if someone is not it responding or even give two shits about the kindness, you're how I respond to them not noticing or even being hostile back is a significant challenge, right? But it's a, it's like the, it's like the high road. It's the harder place to go in many, many times. So with drumming, I almost feel like it's like, that's the same mentality, the simpler and the kind whatever, if I, if I approach it, it's, it's not that easy to do. If you really want to start doing the dance, if you want to just run with blinders on and do it, then it's that sort of, I equate that to sort of kind of what's happening musically and whatever, like don't put your blinders on and there's also, you know, be, be willing to, to, yeah, stop. I just, it means a great deal to other human beings. And I think the world is, is lacking that tremendously at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I know you have to go. So I just want to thank you for your time. We're going to carry on this conversation again. I am insisting at some point that we record a second part, uh, because like I said, I, this, I think it'd be, and not because I want to hear, but I, I'm learning from listening to you share your story. And I mean that sincerely. And I'm also resonating with how similar. Uh, and I think many people, so even if you could pull 50 to 60 year old male drummers, female, <laughs> say male, because we might have the same goofy, but you know, you, you pull us together and you probably find, wow, it's like a scientific experiment. <laughs> a lot of yeah. simple, similar things. And I find that fascinating. So any opportunity to to talk with you again would be my pleasure. I thank you for being so kind. It was an absolute pleasure. I am incredibly excited about your show in Toronto in a couple of weeks. And I hope to get a chance to meet you in person. We that will day, so. we'll be in touch. And again, man, keep doing this. I'm grateful you're doing this for the rest of the community. And uh, I'm a big fan now. So thank you. Thank you for just, again, all the kindness and and support you've given me it, it does not it, it, it means the world to me absolutely i wish you all the best you got it i want you to have a fantastic day and uh i will be in touch shortly and hopefully see you in a couple of weeks right on thank you michael you've been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.